Welcome to Love, Tales and Recipes. We're meeting today for a little bit of pleasure to have with your cuppa, a story, a recipe, and a tea or coffee pairing with me, your host and author, Melody Green. Hello, my lovelies. Today we will hear all about shopkeepers and spices, mint tea from Morocco, and gong pao de, and a chicken tagine dish flavoured with ras el honout. Love Tales and Recipes is all about pairing, how we lift the everyday mundane action of having a cup of tea and something to eat into a celebration of life and a moment to recharge your batteries. And what am I drinking today? Today's brew is called Moroccan Mint Tea. All around the world, Moroccan mint tea is probably the most famous emblem of Morocco. It is served at any time of the day with sweet and savoury foods. Everyone knows about it and loves it, but making it remains a bit of a mystery. The ingredients are fresh mint, sugar, water, and that special ingredient, gunpowder tea. Gunpowder tea, sometimes called zhu shai, literally means pearl tea. It is a form of Chinese tea in which each leaf has been rolled into a small round pellet. Its English name comes from its resemblance to grains of gunpowder. This rolling method of shaping tea is most often applied either to dried green tea or oolong tea. Gunpowder tea leaves are withered, steamed, rolled and then dried. Although the individual leaves were formerly rolled by hand, today most gunpowder tea is rolled by machines, though the highest grades are still rolled by hand. Rolling renders the leaves less susceptible to physical damage and breakage and allows them to retain more of their flavour and aroma. In addition, it allows certain types of oolong teas to be aged for decades if they are cared for by being occasionally roasted. Shiny pellets indicate that the tea is relatively fresh. Pellet size is also associated with the quality, larger pellets being considered a mark of lower-grade teas. High-grade gunpowder tea will have small, tightly rolled pellets, and the tea is divided into several grades using a combination of numbers and letters. Moroccan mint tea is refreshing, versatile, and robust. But the truth is, it's simply delicious. Moroccan mint tea is traditionally very sweet and can also be flavoured with other aromatic herbs that you might like, such as verbena, sage or rose geranium. No matter what you add, the truth is, it's a refreshing pick-me-up. The traditional way of serving this tea in Morocco is in brightly coloured glasses, often with gold filigree. Today, I'm drinking mine in a deep magenta-coloured glass. Ah, what could be more delicious than mint, fresh, with a smoky aftertaste? Today's recipe is again another perfect pairing in the chicken tagine, ras al and couscous. And how did I get the recipe? Abdul the spice merchant came to me before I had a recipe to go with the story. He so insistently wanted his story told that I decided to trust in the story and let the recipe come to me. Some weeks later, I came across a book called Spice Notes by Ian Hempel, and although I knew it was a cheeky thing to do as an unknown writer, I sent a copy of my story to Ian and asked if I could use his recipe. 
He very generously agreed, and months later I met him at the release of his then latest book, Herbaceous. He remembered my inquiry and story and was very encouraging to an untried fellow writer. His charm and graciousness I will always remember. So this recipe is thanks to him and his passion for all things spicy. You will find a copy of the recipe on my website by following the link on this podcast. And now time for a story. The Shopkeeper's Choice is a short story from my book, A Tipsy Man Goes Naked. Abdul had inherited the spice stall from his father and him from his father before him. It could therefore be claimed that spices were in their blood, and it was also certainly true that Abdul could smell a blend of spices at 1,000 paces and tell you not only which spices were in the blend, but also the exact amount until the last grain. If Abdul's father had been good at his trade, it was obvious to all the customers that Abdul was a master. From an early age, he had loved the burnt earth colours, the bright yellows and hot reds of the spices. He loved their textures and their alchemy. He also enjoyed that the dead, dried berries could be ground into the most pungent aroma and flavour, the simplest dish, so that it tasted as though heaven and earth had met. By rights, the stall should have been his older brother's inheritance, but by a quirk of nature, his brother had been cursed with a dead nose. He simply could not smell. That Abdul's father had felt personally slighted for this genetic disaster was evident to see, for Abdul's father could not understand why Allah had cursed him with such a firstborn. But over time it became clear that in missing the firstborn, Allah had been generous with the second. And so it was that Abdul became the spice master and his brother the silversmith. For as talented as Abdul's nose, his brother's hands crafted the most intricately delicate silver pieces to rival the travelling shahs and sultans. His business flourished many times that of the spice stall, and yet the brothers were untroubled by this, happy in their own trade, just as Allah had intended. Each market stall was unique, selling only specialised goods from its region, and Abdul's was no exception. His specialty was Raz al-Hunut, the shopkeeper's choice. This was a special blend of herbs and spices that could, because of Abdul's virtuoso mastery, bring out the subtle nuances of meat and vegetables, marrying the flavours in harmonious bliss. Abdul's blend could be used in so many dishes, both savoury and sweet. It was considered a staple bought fresh each week by the women of the district. It was also a seasonal blend, its ingredients changing with the seasons as freshly dried thyme, lavender or rose petals came into Abdul's hands. Invariably, these more luxurious ingredients arrived as Allah intended at a time of great feasting, be it the end of Ramadan, a wedding or the birth of children, in fact all times of great rejoicing and blessings. One hot, humid morning, a young woman visited his stall. She was tall and slender. Her face and body completely shrouded in the hijab she wore. Only the hands that picked up a quill of cinnamon to bring it gently to where her nose would be under the veil were in view. 
The hands and fingers fascinated him as he watched their lightness flutter as butterflies' wings against his dishes of spices. Without speaking, the older woman at her side seemed to know what she wanted and ordered her requests in short, sharp barks, like a small yapping lap dog that he had once seen greet a sultana at a festival in Fez. He was intrigued by this woman, whom he did not know. Even shrouded in the hijab, she had the bearing of an aristocratic woman. Her warm body exuded a tantalizing smell of roses and cassia, lemon and amber, potently mixed with her own earthly human aroma. His nose twitched involuntarily. She had invaded his defenses with just one whiff. He began to look forward to the day in the week when she would turn up to purchase her spices, even though he never knew which day it would be. He tried to find out from the other storeholders where she bought silks and trinkets, but none knew much about her. Abdul was careful not to let his friends know too much for fear they would tease him unmercifully. Abdul was not married, that was true, and he had not been promised either. For although his nose was famous for its sensitivity, it was also true to say that it sat large and square in the middle of his face, and on side view showed a pronounced hook. The nose, you could say, wore the face, rather than the other way round. So when Allah was giving out noses, he had obviously been more interested in its ability to smell than provide a handsome countenance. This nose had caused a few marriage proposals to go astray, so self-confidence was a little short in supply for Abdul. Some months later, a great rumour spread around the market store that the cook of a wealthy merchant made the best tagine in the district. Tagine recipes were as precious as gold and highly guarded. It was said that the cook's tagine was so great that peddlers and camel traders lined up daily at the back door to buy a portion. The other storeholders suggested that Abdul should visit the cook and test out the tagine for himself. They were eager to see what the magical ingredients might be that had cut their trade by half and more than doubled the cook's. So the next night, Abdul dressed in peddler's clothes, went to stand in line with the others trying to decipher the specific blend of spices, herbs, vegetables, meat and pulses that made this cook's tagine the most sought after. When it was his turn to greet the cook and receive his bowl of tagine, he was amazed to see the old woman who came every week to buy his ras el with the beautiful young woman. He went to sit away from the noise, bustle and human odour of the peddlers. There, under the lemon tree, he smelt the tagine clearly for the first time. As his nose did the work, his glands exploded saliva into his mouth. Never had he wanted to eat food as he did with this tagine. It was as though he were a man parched in the desert longing for water who finally sees the oasis. And as Abdul knew of these things, he also knew that he would need to keep his urges under control and eat slowly, or he would have indigestion from gorging himself. He could not find words to describe the taste. It was like glorious nectar of multi-layered flavors, so subtle, yet so rich and satisfying, that after a few mouthfuls he felt a wonderful sense of well-being that did not lift for many hours. 
It was also very clear that the tagine held his own blend of ras el with standard ingredients of lamb, onions, tomatoes, olives, and almond meal to thicken and flavour. The next day, he reported back to the market. At the marketplace, the town officials had gathered, and they had decided that it was time to hold a competition for the best tagine in the district. Notices were put up on all the official buildings, and Abdul was very busy that month making spice mixes to his customers' specifications. He remembered to put aside the Razalonut for his beautiful, nameless customer and wrapped it carefully in a silken cloth. He asked the old woman accompanying her whether she would enter her dajin into the competition, but the old woman barked a definite no. He was disappointed that her tagine was not to be one of the many he would savour on the day of the competition, as he was one of the judges chosen by the town officials. The day of the competition arrived. Over 70 tagines sat majestically on the long white cloth, each dish numbered. Abdul began the tasting, fastidiously cleansing his palate between each small taste. His nose attuned to the spice mixes that made some dishes too bitter, over-flavoured, bland or heavy, depending on the spice mix. He came across two of his own blends, Raz Halunut almost identical to the one he had eaten those months ago that lingered as a whispering memory. But these two were lacking in that elusive ingredient that he could only say was the breath of the cook as she slowly cooked and occasionally stirred the tagine. At the last one, he drew a breath, for again he recognised his own blend, one that had also been flavoured with rose petals. This had been one of his best blends, although he thought that as it had been at least a couple of months since he had made it, the blend would be too stale. He smelt the tagine again. If anything, the blend had matured to a heady alchemy, so finely blended as to be greater than the original blend he had sold. He dipped the small spoon into the mixture. It was the right consistency, not too moist or dry, cooked to perfection as only a master cook can attain. The final test would be in the taste. Abdul felt his taste buds responding to the smell and knew before he put the spoon to his mouth that this was the dish he had tasted at the cook's kitchen with the peddlers. Although he looked at the crowds, he could not see the old woman anywhere. The tagine exploded in his mouth, a delight of flavours and textures that made him drool. The taste was so overpoweringly seductive. He closed his eyes in ecstasy. The tagine was sublime. Heaven and earth were one. He reluctantly swallowed the flavoursome mouthful, the lingering aftertaste sweet even though the dish was savoury. He rinsed his mouth and felt a profound loss as the sweet aftertaste disappeared for good. He sighed and went to the last dish. Although this one was good, it did not even come close to the previous one. His judging was done. As the other judges came to the end, it was clear that the cook's tagine was the best anyone had ever tasted, and it was declared the outright winner. The town officials went to see who had submitted the entry into the competition. Again, Abdul looked over the crowd but could not see the cook. 
As he turned to speak to a dignitary, the beautiful young woman who came to the market stepped forward to accept the prize. Abdul was dumbfounded. His eyes caught in her stare as a hare in a snake's glance. She was mesmerizing. This was the woman who had made the tantalizing tagine, and she was the unmarried daughter of the cook. The first prize was awarded to her, and the competition was considered a great success. Abdul went back to his home with a light heart, for the beautiful young woman Serena was a cook's daughter and well suited to his station. It took many weeks for him to pluck up the courage to ask her mother if he could court her daughter, and he was beset with many rivals, for Serena's cooking became renowned much further afield than the district they lived in. But Serena was not as stupid as her beauty might have been accused of. She was a shrewd young businesswoman, and knew that having the spice merchant as a husband would be as good an earthly match as his spices and her food could make. Besides, she was aware of the secret ingredient that made her dishes so superb, although she did not tell Abdul till after they were married. It was magic, she agreed, when he finally asked what the special ingredient was that he could not detect in the blend. It is the magic of love, she said, yours for me and mine for you. From the beginning, I noted a unique freshness and compassion in your blend, a love you have for the art of blending that I have for the alchemy of cooking. It was not long, though, before your love for me filled the spice mix, and this became echoed as union in the tagine. Tagines are food magic, a union of flavors so sublime as to express love be it only the spices for the meat and vegetables, in the same way as we have for each other. Should my tagine become less than it is today, we will know, you and me, that our love has diminished. And if it grows more, then we will know that Allah has blessed our union. For there is always room for love to grow in the same way as there is room in the sky for more stars she said, her eyes glowing brighter than the stars in the heavens. Thanks be to Allah, Abdul said. And Allah was well pleased with all that he had intended. If you enjoyed that story, there are many more in my collection of love tales and recipes called A Tipsy Man Goes Naked. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble and all online bookstores. And that's it, my lovelies. It's time to get back into the throes of your life. You can find more episodes on my website and social channels. Until next time, find time to enjoy a cup or two with a good book. Remember to take care, be blessed, and smile often. Bye for now. <laughs>